Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Glenn Stallsmith. Glenn is a pastor who serves two United Methodist churches in rural North Carolina. He's also a Ph.D. student at Duke Divinity School. For 12 years, he lived in the Philippines, working as an ethnomusicologist with Wycliffe Bible Translators. He's also the reviews editor of Global Forum on Arts and Christian Faith. I give you Glenn Stallsman. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Happy New Year. Happy, I was going to say that to you. Happy New Year. We are, we are, it's almost like New Year's Eve-ish, but well, no, I guess because Christ the King Sunday happened. So, I mean, what is the status in between Sundays when you're in between year B and year C? I think, I think you're still in the, the, the previous year until Saturday night. Saturday right, night at so sundown. It's so, so it's still, so it's still the like, time after Pentecost. We're still ordinary time. But the, we'll just say Happy New Year just yeah. for, you know, for liturgical uh, for liturgical panache. Let's we'll just call it a liminal space. Yeah, liminal. You can get by with through. You can justify anything by saying liminal space. We're in a liminal time, a liminal space, holding all things in tension. Yeah, all things in tension. I, I mean, I wear like a buddy of mine. I didn't go to the American Academy of Religion this year, but I used to go, and we used to say like. All right, we, you play like academic bingo, like like you know, it's like oh, uh, empire, fetishize, uh, <laughs> a, a cultural appropriation, bingo. Yeah, just, you win all, all these terms that like they just come up and invariably in any paper. Yep. So our first reading is Jeremiah thirty three verses fourteen through sixteen. The days are surely coming, saith the Lord, when I'll fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and he'll they'll cause a righteous the Lord will cause a righteous branch to spring up. For David, he'll execute justice and righteousness in the land. And we'll have salvation for Judah and Jerusalem will live in safety. Uh, so, and the name by which it will be called is the Lord is our righteousness. So here, a very short verse, but this is a sort of prophetic announcement here that that better days are, are ahead, right? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is a section. In Israel, that's tough times. Yeah, this section carved out of the, out of this part of Jeremiah, Chapters 30 through 33, I don't know if it was Luther. I think it might have been Luther who called it the Book of Comfort or the Book of Consolation. And and some people have even said this very last part of that from verses 14 to the end of this chapter are sort of a, a very late addition that uh, they don't even show up in the Septuagint. Um, but, but yeah, you have a very hopeful, forward-looking, uh, a better days on the horizon kind of vibe happening here. Um, and it sounds a lot like a verse from Isaiah chapter 11 that comes up uh, during this time of year on, on other cycles about a shoot coming from the stump of Jesse. Um, so it's easy to get those two passages mixed up. And maybe be, having them mixed up is not a bad thing. Uh, but remember that your, your shoot from the stump of Jesse passage is an Isaiah one, not, not Jeremiah. Yeah, right. Don't yeah, don't just uh, try to preach it from memory as if uh, you know. Hey, there we go. Uh, stump of Jesse, and just uh, you know, kind of paraphrase Isaiah or something. But right. 
Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. I think is there's a lot of prophecy in the Advent readings, and one of the things that I think is helpful to keep in mind. I mean, we think of prophecy often as the role of the prophets and prophecy as future oriented, and there and there is a sense that that there there is a deliverance in the future, but it's 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 promise and fulfillment, right? And so the past is just as important here because it's it's we have a divided kingdom, but the the promise is to Israel and Judah, right? So. It's mm-hmm. looking back to a day before the division of the kingdom when David and Solomon had this united kingdom, kind of the high point of Israel's history. So, and, and there's a sense in which there's a, there's a there's a calling back to that, and also this sense of you know you can imagine that the exiles, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine twenty nine says right, seek the shalom of Babylon because in you in your shalom in its shalom you'll find your shalom. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a, and there's a sense in which probably there's people that are accommodating, right? And just uh, they're not they're not doing their vegetarian Daniel move like in the like right. you know with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nor nor are they there. And there's probably people that are sitting outside cursing Babylon and trying the Amish kind of. We're never gonna and and they're called to do neither of those. They're called to sort of live in amongst and yet and for Babylon and yet to not be subsumed by it. And so part of this prophecy, right, is the assurance that. There is a fulfillment, right? There is a future, and that should orient your... And just as God's been faithful in the past, God will be faithful in the future. And so that orients your present, right? That orients how God's people navigate the present in the time between, you know, God's past faithfulness and future faithfulness. Yeah, there's always a reason to hope in the present. And depending on what cycle of Advent candle readings you follow, it's very likely that this first Sunday of Advent will be the hope candle. And uh, here's a here's a passage <clears throat> that gives us hope. <clears throat> um, and pointing towards future things that don't ever happen. The 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 kingdoms or the yeah the kingdoms never do see another uh, bloodline descendant of David come back to the throne. That's that that wish that that promise is never fulfilled uh, in that sense. Um, but it's still it's it's still the, the prophet's words of hope, and and of yeah, course, and, and go ahead, yeah, yeah, and of course we get to see that fulfillment in the Messiah in in the person of Jesus fulfilling that role. But even when those things aren't seen, past, present, future, there's always a reason for hope. Yeah, and you know it's it, it's interesting that that the there is a, a, a uniting of the people again in a different way. I mean, I, Rob Bell was doing this series of podcasts called Jesus H Christ. It's great, uh, and <laughs> And the last one, he was talking about how this, there's all these places like in Ephesians, like it's not that Jesus is plan B and oh my gosh, things are screwed up, you know, and now God, what am I going to do? And God's turned his back and yet there's plan B and that brings everything. But there's this sense that like that what was hidden is revealed, this thing that was plan A, right? And he was talking about how Jesus, Paul says, this mystery is that the dividing wall is broken down, right? And that... Mm-hmm. That he was saying that that the Christ is is against all these tribalisms, and there's no us them. There's you know that that this sort of oneness of humanity, right? This is kind of Bart. There's not two kinds of people. There, there, everyone is electing Christ. And there are people that may know not know they're elect or reject their election, but everyone is determined. You know, there's one kind of humanity, and so in some ways it's interesting because the just as there's the breaking down of of Jew and Gentile, there, there's a breaking down of sort of North-South, there's a breaking down of male-female. So so there is a sort of a different kind of fulfillment to this promise, but there is actually a healing and, and, a, and a, 
as the curtain, the veil of the temple is torn down, it's like the tearing in Israel and in between Jew and Gentile is sort of mended. That's good. Even in spite of this horrible exilic existence that they have to suffer. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting, I think that this idea that, that the Lord, that, 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 that I guess God's the place where God's people dwell will be called, you know, that will be called the Lord is our righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Like, or the Lord is, or where, no, or rather it is. Yeah. The Lord, yeah, is, the our Lord is our righteousness. Verse 16. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that that seems to be, that happens when God does something for them, right? It's not so much that, okay, we we did A, B, C, and D, or X, Y, and Z, and now the Lord has become our righteousness because of this. But it's when God saves his, his people and dwells with his people, then they'll say the Lord is our righteousness, right? Like it's something that it, you could almost think of it as active, but it's, 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 it seems like for their part, that reality is connected to passivity. It, it's mm-hmm. not them saving themselves. It's them being saved. All the work of God's grace. Amen to that. So it's an interesting reading. I mean, I think that, that like, you know, there's a lot of things you could do with it, right, that, that I think would be – it's a great kickoff for Advent because it, it – it, and this is, like, I think just like Israel, we're in a place where we're in the time between the times, right, and we look back on God's past faithfulness and and hope for his the final sort of – flourishing finish of the new creation and so and that sort of that prophecy orients us the same you know just as it's it's to is you know orient israel in exile and it's good that the reading is short because if you're going to preach it you're going to have to do some con- uh, context building reminding folks of what the exile is how the babylons babylonians were related uh to the kingdom of judah and all that so yeah why why they need a new city why they need a new hope yep On to our next reading, which is from the book of Thessalonians. Interesting. Another eschatological-oriented book here. We have 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 through 13, where we have Paul saying to this church, Thessalonica, how can we be, uh, how can we thank God enough for them, for all the joy, night and day they pray for them. And he says that, that, you know, they, they, they hopes that God and the Lord Jesus direct, um, their way to them, to Paul, that, you know, that they would be reunited with this, you know, community. I guess Paul and his, his helpmates here, his, his, his colleagues. And he hopes that the Lord would, you know, that the Lord would increase and abound, that they would make, that the Lord would make their love for each other, uh, abound, just like they abound, you know, the, the Paul and his colleagues abound in love for them. So, he wants God to strengthen their hearts in holiness that they may be blameless before the before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. When the saints come marching in. There, you can sing that for First Sunday of Advent. The, uh, yeah, these verses really make a great case for the horizontal dimension of eschatology. And that what Paul is longing for more than anything else is to be reconnected and fellowship with these people that he wasn't able to stay and linger with as long as he would have liked. And and for him, the hope of the coming kingdom 
is one where all of God's people will be together and there will be no apartheid. There will be no separation, uh, physical or otherwise, uh, between the saints. And Christmas can, or an Advent leading up to it, can easily be just a very solitary me and Jesus kind of piety that arises. But but Paul's not going to let us get away with that if, if we keep in mind the idea that, that the coming of Christ, as as well as the second coming of Christ, also has a very strong person-to-person communal dimension uh, right in the middle of what God is doing in history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, this, and it's interesting that, that you get this sense of Spurgeon preached this sermon. I think it was Spurgeon that uh, says that something like, he, it was on this text, and he said to his people, I live by your spiritual joy. I suffocate on your spiritual indifference. I choke to death on your spiritual misery. I'm tied to you. I can't help it. And that's interesting because you, you, I mean, we could say, okay, like, it, it, I'm sure at Duke Divinity School, right, they'd say Spurgeon has boundary issues, and so does the <laughs> Apostle Paul. <laughs> there's not enough, there's not enough professional clinical dif- di- distance in their, in the pastoral relationship. Maybe. But there is something, it does seem like Paul is, is bound up with, with it, something about their well-being is, he's emotionally tied to it and and that their, and that their faithfulness somehow is, you know, he longs to see them. It's interesting. C.S. Lewis talks about how I think it's C.S. Lewis. You know, you hear this, I've heard N.T. Wright say this too. Maybe he's quoting Lewis here that, that when somebody's has a long debilitating illness, we'll say that uh, they're a shadow of their past selves. Mm -hmm. But the Christian reality is that in Christ, we're all shadows of our future selves. Oh, Right. And it's almost like Paul saying, "I want to see more of your future self. I'm longing for for you to be more like uh, what you're going to be when the saints come marching in. You know that that yeah. that, that you'll that, that you would experience more of God's love and the reality of of His redemption and healing as you come more into your future self." Yeah, indeed. And and the very final turn you have at the end of verse 13 is an ethical one, which which always seems to be closely linked with the second coming, which we'll see in, in Luke in just a second. But we, uh, we pray that you may be blameless uh, before our God, the Father, God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So so the, the coming age is, is always a call for righteous living, for holiness, uh, which again is all about how we're related to each other and how we treat each other. Um, and it would be very threatening for preachers to get up in the pulpit on Sunday and talk about how the salvation of the person sitting in the pew in front of them is tied to their own salvation and how how you act in this age has ripple effects for everyone in the congregation on into the next age, that there is no there is no way in which we're divorced from each other when we consider God's kingdom. Yeah, right. For Augustine, the city of God, it's an ethnos that's saved. It's a polis. It's a, it's, it's, it's a new people. It's, it's, it's a fundamentally communal reality. And I was thinking too about the ethical thing, you know, Richard Duke's own Richard Hayes, right? His great mm-hmm. book on the moral vision of the New Testament, community cross and new creation. He thinks are the ethical, you know, you're saved into this new people of God and, and saved, you know, by the cross. And the way to experience that salvation is living, you know, under the cross and, that the reality also is, you know, the things that directs our hope and that has 
But in Augury, there's new creation. You see a lot of that right here in this little passage. Mm-hmm. Again, a very short reading, easy to easy to assign to a layperson to read. Yeah, I mean, you're acting like you don't have like maybe you have Shakespearean actors in your congregation. You, you should let them all read. <laughs> I always well, let them. Of course. Read. So, and then our longest reading is the gospel reading, Luke 21, verses 25 through 36. Jesus is saying there's going to be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, distressed among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. And he's talking about, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, that, that people will faint for fear of the foreboding of what's coming upon the world. Uh, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Uh, when these things are going to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then he tells them this parable about the fig tree when it sprouts its leaves. You can know that summer is already near uh, and that, you know, the kingdom is near like likewise and that this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words won't. And to be on guard that lest you be dissipating and drunkenness and the worries of this life catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Uh, and then you'll, you'll kind of miss it, right? You'll miss, um, the, 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 the great climactic redemption that comes with the coming of the Lord. This sounds a lot like Mark 13 that some of us preached a lot, just a two lot. weeks ago. <laughs> And it may a be lot like it. might be hard to find new stuff uh, to bring before the congregation again. Um, what I find interesting here is you've got and and in the version I'm I'm looking at here the way it's been edited that the there's a section break between verses 28 and 29, but in that in that first cluster of verses you have really uh, you know the oracular kind of stuff that's happening on a uh, on on a on the level of the cosmos, you know stars and nations and the sea uh, bringing forth waves and so forth. And, and and those are the signs in that section of verses. And then you move to verse 29 into that next section. And it's a very ordinary uh, way of, of describing um, what's going to bring in the next age. It's the fig leaves that, that come around every summer, year after year. Nothing fantastical about that. It can almost be written on the calendar when it's going to happen. And and Jesus uses both images to describe this this coming of birth pangs. And birth pangs is from Mark 13, not this passage, but I I think you could be justified in in bringing that in here. Um, So, yeah, so I find just very interesting sets of of warnings. Uh, One of rare horrifying earth-shattering events and the other of just the most ordinary annual set your clock by it you can count on kind of change yeah i think that that is interesting and you know it's funny that the the fig tree here is is interesting because you have this it sprouts its leaves with the indication that summer is at hand right Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, it seems like that if it would make more sense that like harvest right like the harvest season is coming, right? Where you have to reap, you know, the the harvest of of what's grown. Mm-hmm. But it's not here. It's 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 summer is at hand, and 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 that when the fig 
and all the trees sprout leaves, summer is in hand, and the signs of the end times are going to mark unmistakably like what's about to happen, something new, something altogether new and apocalyptic and climactic. Um, no, it's, interest, it's just interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have the reference to this in this generation, like who's going to see these signs? Right. And Origen said that not every biblical passage, right, has a literal meaning. <laughs> <laughs> and that there's no fully satisfactory scholarly interpretation of the phrase. Like he thought, you know, <laughs> or, or, or he doesn't say scholarly, but basically, you know, that origin of many scholars think, well, I don't know. Like, how do we, how do we make sense of what seems apocalyptic where this generation is going to see it all? Mm-hmm. Unless you, unless you take the reading that there are apocalyptic events that happen all the time and, and that apocalypse is not about a future event, but it's about a folding of the next age into the present age. And and that God that that Christ's lordship over time is a collapsing of our conception of past, present, future in some kind of linear progression, and and that really Christ being Lord over all of it can bend it and twist it and circle it back around on each other, so that even in this generation, you have the opening of the leaves at summer, you have the earth-shattering events of the cosmos, and in that. God's kingdom is is present. Yeah, and what's interesting too, I mean, the Markan passage, and you see it here in Luke too. When does this? When do some of these portent signs happen? Right? It seems like they happen at the crucifixion. That's true. Right? And, and 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 if you think about this, like ironic, the irony is that that it doesn't. Look, it looks like hope is dying, and yet is the cross where the fig leaves are sprouting. And if you don't know that, you're going to miss the coming of summer, which might be the resurrection. Like the, 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 this, so the death and resurrection may be the thing that this whole generation sees. That is actually the end of the world. You know, that's, that's the primary climactic event. The end. And that, as in, in some telos, sense, you the could, purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And you could miss it. It's something that it's funny because it, it's climactic and apocalyptic. And also, you could look and say, Oh, who's that? The king of the Jews. It, it is something you could miss. That is apocalyptic. Certainly. Yeah, if you're not on guard, if your heart is weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, that could certainly cause your eyes to be closed and your senses dulled to what God is doing right now. There's a commentator, Paul Scott Wilson, who says this about this text in the in the Erdman's Lectionary Commentaries series. He says, There is a sentence upon all who have failed to live according to God's law, and it's a good thing. Just as God sets a limit on the power evil can have over us, God sets a limit on all injustice and sin. It will not continue. Its days are numbered. This sentence is also passed upon each of us, for no one is capable of doing everything Jesus calls people to do in order to stand before the Son of Man. If we had been capable, Jesus need not have come the first time. Jesus instructs us not to wait until the end time to get our relationship right with God. In other words, what makes us right for meeting Christ at the end of time is our relationship with him in the present that has already been defined by the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. We think of the future, the clear sign of what to expect has been given in Christ and his, and his ongoing presence in the church. That's great. Paul Scott Wilson wrote that book, The Four Pages of, of the Sermon. Yeah, yeah. Great book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really an interesting point because, you know, you have this sense that Eugene Peterson says, right, discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on our own. <laughs> so in these things, the, 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 the thing that you do in these apocalyptic moments is look to Christ who's, who has delivered and will continue to deliver the people of God. While you dwell in the city and look for the benefit even of the polis of your captors. Yeah, amen to that. Glenn, blessings in your preaching, and thanks for doing this again. 
Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Glenn for coming on the podcast. You can find his stuff at MeaningfulWorship.Blogspot.com. And thanks to you again for listening. Till next time, friends, fare thee well.